go. <laughs> I've heard a lot of different podcasters talk about like, oh, now we need to do the clap so that we can be synchronized. And I'm wondering if I'm doing too much work <laughs> in syncing up our audios. Well, you d you do cut some stuff out in yeah. the middle, right? Do we, yeah. do we want to clap? No, absolutely not. <laughs> that feels ridiculous. Unless, of course, we have done something awesome and no one else is applauding for us, in which case, yes, absolutely. <laughs> a million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this. And you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. Speaking of how to sync up a podcast recording. Uh, Steve... <laughs> It is lovely in Chicago right now, and as much as we are not a meteorological podcast, I feel like it comes up quite a bit in relation to our gardening adventures. So let's do a gardening update, and I want to start with you, see if anything new has literally cropped up in your, your neck of the woods there. Uh, yeah, I don't know what uh, had popped up last time, but we do actually have a jalapeno downstairs and I think another poblano. Ooh. that that sprouted um which which means uh my uh no poblano joke is no <laughs> longer uh appropriate because we actually i think we ended up with two poblanos so um yeah that sprouted um everything else seems to be doing okay my uh zucchini leaves are um aren't terribly green i don't know if that should be concerning or not um but uh <laughs> it's it's still pretty young i threw some coffee grounds on uh, around it for some added nitrogen uh i but, have yeah. uh, of the of the eight uh cucumber plants that i raised in the greenhouse in my basement and then moved outside last week one of them the bottom leaves completely bleached out in the sun which i think is fine because it has new growth it has two sets of new leaves above that and so i think it's okay uh, but even if I lose that one plant, I still have seven more cucumber plants, <laughs> and they're prolific. I'm going to get a fuck ton of cucumbers out of these things, so I'm not really worried about it. Yeah. The zucchini that I planted, the black zucchini, I don't know why I only have one, but uh, it's just going gangbusters. It's already grown two, three inches in the last week or so since it's been outside. Oh, that's great, and that's the one you were hoping to provide shade for the chicken coop, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. We have some slightly sad news here at my house. Two of the heirloom tomatoes that I moved outside didn't make it. One oh, of no. them, the uh, indigo rose, was looking kind of scraggledy when I moved it outside. And it, like, fell over and the stalk bent. And I propped it up with some sticks, but it didn't quite make uh. it. The midnight snack, which is a type of cherry tomato, like a purple cherry tomato, was viciously attacked by some sort of an animal. Like, it was chewed oh, straight through in the stock area. Yeah. So I did cheat. My daughter and I went to a garden store yesterday, <laughs> and I bought a midnight snack because they had that one. I also bought two other kinds, and I forget which kinds they were, but I would like to point out, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a quick chuckle and you have kind of a dirty mind like I do, you could do worse than going to a garden store at seedling time. Let me tell you the names of some of the tomatoes that we saw. <laughs> Better Bush. Mm -hmm. Beef Master. 
<laughs> Chef's Choice Pink. Figure that one out for yourself. German Johnson. Right. <laughs> so those are those are just four of the like hundred tomato varieties that I saw, and they had the funniest names. Yeah. I feel like German Johnson could lead to a whole bunch of t-shirts. Uh, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then maybe uh, um, what was the chef one? Co-ed Chef's Pink also then yeah exactly exactly <laughs> like i feel like at some point some asshole i worked for referred to a new hostess as chef's choice pink right like i think that that probably happened at some point i know the the uh this will date us um but the t-shirts that were popular when we were in high school were both big johnson and co-ed naked fill in the blank yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, volleyball etc cetera, etc cetera. co-ed naked gardening i don't know if there was one of those we need to bring it back ben <laughs> right hats and gloves only uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, if you're younger than Steve and I and you don't know what we're talking about, go to your local mall, if those still exist, and go to Spencer's Gifts or possibly <laughs> – what's the other one? Where Hot they Topic. Sell- Hot Topic, exactly. Maybe. And look through their T-shirts, and you will see, like, the Tasmanian Devil with some sort of horrible print text as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not great times. The 90s were not great times for fashion. <laughs> you remember Jinko jeans? Like, that was the pinnacle of what in the hell is everybody doing right now? Yeah, I, d- I, I remember the name. I, don't, I couldn't uh, uh, describe them to you. I do remember, and this, is, this goes even further back than high school. I think this would have been maybe elementary. So this is 80s, but the hypercolor shirts. Oh, yeah. The ones that changed uh, color when you touched them? Yeah. Or when you just got warm in them, yeah. so <laughs> they would. <laughs> Yikes. <clears throat> yeah, Jinko jeans, the main selling point was that each one of the legs was roughly the diameter of a carport. <laughs> they were gigantic. It was like five or six times the amount of denim you needed for a pair of pants. Uh, for bootleggers, buy bootleggers. Right, right. So <laughs> uh, the news, news, as far as I'm concerned, for climate change in general and my garden in particular is that it's warm enough in chicago now i was able to move my avocado plants outside so i have four avocado trees one of which is now officially taller than my 10 year old daughter and i moved them i purchased larger pots for them because they were all starting to like lean over because they can only support a certain amount of height based on the depth and strength of their roots so i put them into larger pots and moved them outside and i moved them i don't know 10 o'clock yesterday morning they already look like they're having a better time being outside (laughs) i have a window box that doesn't fit into any of my windows so it's sitting on the uh, railing of my back porch and I threw as many basil seeds in there as I possibly could. So I have like an absurd amount of basil coming up right now as well. And my wife and daughter in front of where I have the cucumbers and the zucchini planted a bunch of stuff that I don't know what it is, but it really is coming up fast. So I have high hopes for for this summer, for our, for some sort of a bounty to happen. Nice. I, I got some really crappy soil from uh, Lowe's. It was topsoil, but uh, topsoil as in I think they went to a gravel pit and took the topsoil. <laughs> um, so I have some volunteers coming up, and I don't know what they are. Um, they're probably just uh, seedlings from whatever forest that was scraped from. So right. I, I'm keeping an eye on those to see what they're going to be before I uh, yank them. Some of I yanked already, but um, I told you that we pla- we planted some black raspberries too, right? Yeah, yeah. 
so one of those def is definitely going to have some berries, which is fun. Um, and I don't know about the others uh, yet, whether or not they'll come later or not. But they, I don't think any of them were first year, so they all, I think, should be of the berry-bearing uh, age. But uh, but we'll see. We're, we're happy to get any at this point. So Nice. We still have the two hazelnut trees in the chicken enclosure area. So we have the chicken coop, the chicken run, which are both... Like, we can close them off completely. And then we have what I call the veranda, which is a separate open area, but it's still fenced in. And there are two chestnut trees that my wife planted there. We moved those from the previous house because she had purchased them for the previous house. And we moved them over. They did not do terribly well last year, but they have gone a little bit bonkers this year. They're still only maybe two and a half feet tall. It's going to be a long time before they produce any sort of chestnuts. Uh, chestnuts or hazelnuts? I think they're chestnuts. And so... We also moved some raspberries over. That's what raspberries do, though. They die off, and I think it's a trick. They like they die off, and you're like, oh, no, they're dead, and then they come back and take over everything. So those are coming <laughs> back as well. I almost bought some strawberries because this garden center we were at is massive, massive garden center. And the strawberries looked really good, but I think I was just hungry. right? I don't think that was like, I want to have strawberries Yeah. to, to cultivate, you know. Yes. We... Um we have i planted some uh hollyhocks a couple of years ago and i've got one that's coming back real strong which is good but i i think they like and you you shouldn't be eating hollyhocks but uh i feel like this was like an old person's house when we bought it and i always remember hollyhocks being at my grandmother's house so hmm. i thought it was fitting for grandma's hollyhocks to be at a grandma house <laughs> um even if a grandma's not living in it. But uh, so I do have some of those coming back. And then I planted three maple trees in the front yard. Nice. Um, by the road. And uh, uh, last year or the year before, like something ate the top off of one of them. But it was, you know, it was young. And I guess in the forest, this happens too. So I just left it there and it came back and it's fine. And then it happened again to the same one. It's the smallest one. And uh, we have a ring doorbell uh, thing now. Yeah. And so I went through the ring to try to find out what did it. And like at, Two, two in the morning, three in the morning, maybe. Just like a whole pack of deer. Oh, wow. Just wandering the streets. And one of them decided to munch on my maple tree. <laughs> maple munchers. Um, Canadian deer, then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I think it chewed some leaves off the, the end of one of the other trees as well. But uh, because all of our gardening stuff is indoors, I mean, not indoors, but within the fence. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're, and we're kind of, uh, the, the yard itself is up a little bit of a bank from the street level where the sidewalk is and the trees are down there. So they, that's really accessible, but I guess they could climb the bank and maybe reach over and eat some of my plants. But so far that hasn't happened. So uh, I'm curious as to what, what it is that uh, attacked your tomato, tomato plant. Um, that is curious. We have consistently in our backyard, lots of different kinds of birds, squirrels. There's at least one possum that visits us occasionally. We have seen a skunk and we have raccoons. So, and bunnies. Bunnies, like, this is in a a bucket. I brought these buckets home from work. They're not quite five-gallon pickle buckets. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the industry and that's what you're picturing, it's not that. It's a square, three-gallon white bucket that's probably two and a half feet tall. That can't be right. Two feet tall. And uh, so a bunny's not going to get in there because I also didn't see any tracks. It's not like something leapt up into it. So I'm presuming it was... I don't know, actually, raccoon or possum, I presume. You know, this is my theory, that your backyard is the epicenter of Chicago Nature um, Fight Club. And it, <laughs> it was raccoon versus possum. Oh, there and, you go. And uh, the tomato plant just happened to be in between. 
um, the, the, and got in the middle of the scuffle. They were it wasn't the uh, the aim right. of the, uh, <laughs> but it was a casualty of. Hmm. We also, and this will be interesting to see how this works out because my wife did get some soil that she didn't quite dig either. Ha. Uh, <laughs> from some place. I forget where she bought it, but we, she put it into the raised beds and it's not doing what she wanted it to do. So she planted on top of it buckwheat and uh, I forget what the other thing is, but they're specifically designed to be ground cover that you let them grow to a certain height and then you like till them back under. And so that's a way to like rehab that dirt. So we'll see how that works out. Nice. That I stuff had... comes up fast too. Um, ours, luckily, I don't think I have anything that's just full of the, the crappy dirt. It, I have a couple uh, buckets of uh, topsoil from around the house when I, because ah. I'm trying to get it so that the grade, um, no, none, when it rains, that no water goes back toward the house. Yeah. Um, just because it was kind of left uh, unkempt for a while, the house, and also the way the gardening was done before, just soil built up. Um, in kind of a crown in the yard and anyway where I planted the raspberries I scraped a lot of dirt off and um, we used that so I think before I do anything next year I'm just going to have to mix everything up really well yeah. and it, it'll it'll be better but uh, then uh, yeah just rocks and sand or whatever it was that I got from, from Lowe's they should make those bags clear <laughs> <laughs> I, I always worry about volunteers just for competition's sake so like when I planted all of my seeds for seedlings in the uh, greenhouse i know we talked about this before but i had a bunch of mushrooms come up and that's not anybody's fault like mushroom spores are kind of everywhere but as i looked at it i was told by the internet and by you know some <laughs> other places that like it's not bad it just means that you have a really high humidity level and so i'm gonna have to adjust my structure with having a greenhouse for next year if i do it again this way because it was the the area was too moist like i was getting mold on top of the soil uh beneath my seedlings once they came up and i was getting mushrooms so i have to be a little bit a little bit more judicious with my watering yeah that's something that i do not have the hang of yet either uh i'm afraid i'm gonna uh, overwater so i think the fear is keeping me just under overwatering but uh <laughs> <laughs> it's an adventure yes yeah and like you this year is an experiment for me so if everything goes well i'm not taking notes i really should be if everything goes really well i just don't change those things and if things don't go well, I do change those things, right? Like, that's what experimentation is all about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's... I need to come up with a good gardening music, because we do talk about gardening pretty much at the beginning of every episode now. Yeah, well, we've I moved, mean... We've gonna... moved on from, from, like, home repair stuff to... Yeah. <laughs> oh, but if you want to get into that a little bit... Uh, uh oh sure. So we we gutted our dining room. Food-related, right, dining sure, room? Sure, sure, sure. Um... And I know I think I've talked about this a little bit, but anyway, I was just we we're sitting in there the other day because um, I think most of the dust stuff is done. Although I, I'm going to pull up the floor and I'm trying to rehab the floor to put it back down, um, the hardwood, or we'll put a different floor in. I haven't decided yet. But uh, I was sitting there and I was looking at the doorway uh, into the kitchen. Mm -hmm. There's no actual door there. There hasn't been a door there, but you know. Um, and I was like, uh, "There's something not right here." And at one point, probably when they moved in the massive. 1952 oven into the kitchen right when they bought that and they brought it to the house they're like oh you know what your door's real small so they widened the door fine you know what they didn't <laughs> widen the header above the door oh which, no kidding 
if it wasn't a load-bearing wall, wouldn't really be an issue. But this is the like the spine of the house, the load-bearing wall that goes down the center of the house. So as far as I can tell, everything is still level. Um, however, the one stud to the right of the door, as we're looking into the kitchen, is bowed. And I don't know if it's just because that stick of lumber was bowed or, or if it's like, I'm straining. <laughs> um, so I have to figure out now how to how to fix that and get an, get an actual header in there like it should be so that the so that the upstairs bedroom is supported the way that it should right, and right. no one it takes a quick trip to the dining room um so that's that's the the fun uh business Yikes. there yeah we haven't discovered any new fun things about this house we're trying to hey. do like we like we said when we bought this place we're trying to do everything right here because the people who own the house ahead of us did everything right they took care yeah. of this place and we're trying to do that so like we have a, a yearly ongoing contract with a fellow who just comes and looks at our ac comes and looks at our furnace you know twice a year uh we've got a sewer company that will come and, and rod out the sewer lines once a year we're trying to do that sort of thing Seems nice to be yeah. working out you know there's a couple of projects that i've taken on that i need to do some some solid research before i do them like the bathroom fan upstairs doesn't work it turns on and it hums but it doesn't move so i need to open that up not electrocute myself figure out if it's just like gummed up with stuff or if there's actually something wrong with it you know things like that yeah uh home ownership right right <laughs> So we have not like one pressing thing to talk about today, but a lot of odds and ends. And I do want to start with uh, this thing that you sent me, which is an article from Daily Dot titled, You want me to pay $6.99 for chicken tenders and fries? Mom says she prepares packed meals for her kid when dining out, sparking debate. So <laughs> right off the bat, Steve, what is your gut reaction to this? This is This is a woman who brings food to a restaurant for her toddler yeah well um like i told you my i keep going back and forth so it's mixed when i first just reading it i was like don't you dare but then i was looking at the picture and i was like oh this looks like food for like a baby uh, because it's like cheese cubes and and a sliced up banana it's stuff that you would slice up for like a child that can't talk yet right um so, so I was like, well, um, you know, may, maybe, maybe that's okay. But I, I, so I, I go back and forth because it's like, well, she's like, you know, you want me to spend seven bucks, which isn't really that much for some food that the kid's going to throw on the floor. And it's like, well, um, if the kid's throwing food on the floor, you probably should bring them to a restaurant because yeah. someone's got to clean that up and, uh, uh, you aren't going to do it. So, <laughs> you know, if the kid's throwing food on the floor, the kid's not old enough to be in a restaurant, uh, um, kids have to learn at some point and so I don't, i'm just torn i don't know what to think so i i did the same thing you did as a dad so that's the thing as a dad i feel one way as a chef i feel another way so as a dad i'm like well we kind of at that age whatever the age is because this article very 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 specifically never mentions the kid's age yeah right? So up to about age five or six, we kind of always kept snacks on us for our kids because you just do, right? That's just what parents do. Now, it, as a chef, this fits into that same category for me of people going to restaurants, complaining about a thing and not paying for it, right? The idea being, if you don't have enough money to tip, you don't have enough money to go out, right? Like this fits squarely into that category because if you're going to a restaurant where they sell and serve food, but you're bringing your own food, that's fucking rude. That's just, 
that's you are depriving the restaurant of whatever money they would have gained from essentially renting that chair to someone that's that's what it comes down to you sit down in a restaurant you are occupying real estate that the restaurant values based on the cost of their menu items so if you bring a child into a restaurant and you are not paying anything for that child to take up that space in that restaurant you are depriving the restaurant of the potential money from that chair right uh, also like in a follow-up thing that I sent you in many places, it's not so much illegal as it is. Let's say you bring your child to a restaurant and you're a terrible parent and you're feeding them expired yogurt, right? If that kid gets sick, you as a parent could still report foodborne illness to the health department and that restaurant would be liable. Any food that's consumed in the restaurant, the restaurant's liable for no matter where it comes from. So it's up to the restaurant to be like, you can't bring food in here. Uh, same way you can't bring food into a movie theater, which everybody does anyway. Just that's, that's a, that's a price thing, right? Like if you take yeah. candy into a theater, it's cause you don't want to spend the equivalent of six bucks per M&M for a bag. of M&Ms. <laughs> So the fact that this lady is leaning really hard into the price, you want me to pay $7 for chicken tenders and fries for my, my child there the restaurant is telling you that's what those things cost no matter who the fuck you are so yeah if you take your child into a restaurant like the chef part of my brain won out if you take your child into a restaurant and that child is not like breastfeeding that child has teeth and is eating real food that child should be eating food that's on the restaurant's menu or nothing at all yeah because that's from a business perspective it's theft yeah, well, and um, I was I was thinking along those terms too, and I think I also um, fall on the same side of the line that you do, uh, because every every reason, and some of them are legitimately, I think, good, uh, but every re- any reason that uh, someone would be bringing food in for their child, I could um, think of a better reason not to. <laughs> so, so like w- one of the things I thought was, uh, well, the kid's got to learn sometime. Yeah. Yes, the kid yeah. has to learn sometime, and that should be at home at your dining room table is where you should teach them the proper way to eat food and the um, dining, you know, uh, table etiquette, right? Yeah. You you shouldn't subject strangers to your teaching your kid the proper way. I mean, you have to socialize at some point, so there's that. But uh, I mean, it, as far as like throwing stuff on the floor or whatever, teach teach them that at home. Yeah. Um, it's probably the better place to do that in terms of, uh, uh, like, like you were saying the price and the food, you know what, if you don't like the seven, seven dollars, which again is less than, uh, what you can get a meal at Burger King for, yeah, yeah. um, seven dollars. If you don't want to pay that, you know what? The kid doesn't have to eat it Buy that, get a salad for yourself, knowing that you're going to eat most or all of, uh, the tenders and right. the kid's going to munch on some fries or whatever. And then you're sharing, sharing the food with the kid and that's fine. Um, in terms of like you, like you said, taking the space, uh, from the restaurant, what my thinking there was, well, you know, some, I've met people at a restaurant where I didn't get anything and how bad should I feel about that? And then I thought, well, you know what I'm not doing is throwing stuff on the floor that someone has to clean up. Right. So I'm not creating work for anybody when I do that. And even when I do that, I try to at least get a soda or something so that, you know, they're getting a little bit out of me. Um, just for politeness sake or, or an appetizer or something, you know, I try to do a little something because I do recognize that, you know, um, even if it wasn't my idea to go there, <laughs> I did come in and occupy some space. Well, but, and there's there's a significant difference between you going to a place to meet with somebody and not getting anything because they decided to meet at a coffee shop and you didn't want anything 
and you intentionally going to a place that sells food, but bringing your own, right? Yes. Like there's a level yeah. of audacity there that I feel like is is rude and it's it's intentional, right? Like if you're walking down the street with somebody and that person's like, hey, let's let's just sit in this coffee shop for a minute and chat um, and you don't want anything, that's one thing. If you're like, I am going to rip off this restaurant by bringing my own food for my child, well, that's premeditated, right? Like you are choosing to go to a place that sells food, not you, this lady. You're choosing to go to a place that sells food and not only are you not going to buy their food, but you are going to eat your own food in front of them. It's rude. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of a um, twist on this, but but very similar. So how do you feel then as a restaurateur about um, so we brought the kid in. Uh, we didn't we didn't bring like a whole bunch of food in a in a TV thing or TV tray or whatever the, the Tupperware container like like this person has with the four little uh, spots. However, being a a good parent i did bring a whole bunch of cheerios and i'm going to give the kid cheerios to keep them occupied because they're you know real young or whatever um and it's going to keep them occupied and they're not going to you know get real uh uh real hungry because they have cheerios to munch on but a bunch of those are going to end up on the floor how do we feel about that any restaurant that sees kids walk in they know there's going to be a mess so i wouldn't worry about the mess part so much and the thing is is that like there's a type of uh, container that has a lid that is sort of like a spiderweb looking thing that you can reach through but then when you pull it back out it still stays covered and so again i feel like this article is very particularly saving the mom some face by not saying the age of the kid if your kid is a year and a half old and isn't going to eat a grilled cheese sandwich because they've just started on solid food right and you brought a little container of cheerios for them mainly to keep them occupied Totally fine. Don't care. Right. I get the feeling this lady's kid is more like seven <laughs> and is fully capable of eating food that the restaurant sells in their retail space where they this is how they make money. And she is hiding behind this notion of I'm taking care of my child to save herself some money. I think all this is is financial. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been so specific about the the cost, right? I get the feeling that this child not only can advocate for themselves, but is potty trained and all this kind of stuff, and this mom is pushing off the responsibility by uh, of of teaching that kid about food, of teaching this kid about how to behave like you said in public uh by pretending to be the big protective mom. I think I think this is an older kid. And it, it, that part bothers me. If you've got a kid in there who can clearly eat a grilled cheese sandwich and fries and a chocolate milk, and that looks like 13 bucks on the bill, and the mom is bringing in outside food, this is where I, as a manager, go over and I say, this is prohibited by the city of Chicago health department. You cannot bring outside food in here. And I take it away from them. And that's how you piss customers off. But there's a certain kind of customer that if they get pissed off and they don't come back, that's not breaking anybody's heart. Yeah. You know, I would I would go uh, even a step further and say maybe the child doesn't exist and she wants to eat this. <laughs> so, okay. like, let me put it to you this way, because let's get this out of the restaurant thing, because it is complicated, because now we still live in this world where customers have, like, the power has shifted. Customers still have a lot of power. Let's say you go to a parking lot that charges by the space, right, where you have to, like, go to a, a, a kiosk. And you type in the number of the space you're in and you pay for it, right? So you park your car in a space and your friend parks his motorcycle in the next space. 
and then you just don't pay for the motorcycle space, right? You get that, that motorcycle gets towed. That motorcycle gets pulled out of there for not paying. That's the same thing as two people go to a restaurant, one of them happens to be a seven-year-old, and one of them brings their own food and doesn't pay for any of the space they're taking up in that restaurant. It's theft. Could you uh, in any way, or not not you, but could, could one, um, a restaurant, charge like an uncorking fee for kids foods like you would if you the places that are you know you can bring your own wine but you know we charge you for the so i hesitate to say yes to that because i don't know off the top of my head what the fees are for let's say someone does get sick in your restaurant and you get fined by the chicago department of health i don't i'm happy to say that i don't know what those fines look like because i've never really been on the receiving end of something like that but again let's say that kid chokes on whatever that mom made for him and they have to call an ambulance and they have to have the kid rush to the hospital and all of that legitimately if that mom wanted to sue the restaurant she could do it because any food consumed within like on premise is the liability of the restaurant is the responsibility of the restaurant now let's say uh again just judging by the food or we'll, we'll say we'll just say hypothetically we're talking about a young kid so regardless of this article what when you when you look at your ordering form for your broadliners what can you get that would be that you could uh, provide finger food which is what this is right um yeah. finger food and it, it she doesn't talk about health which I, you'd think when she's talking about chicken tenders and fries and then we see this thing that's just got cheese and banana and but well no she's it couldn't be health for her because it looks like there's a brownie in there too yeah um but if it was health, it's like, look, I don't want the fried food for my kid. So we're looking for finger food. So if you're a parent, you're doing cheese cubes, yeah, banana, yeah, uh, Cheerios maybe. But you're looking for something healthier. Like, what do you order from your broadliner that is, A, not going to um, uh, need a lot of prep time, right. like cubing cheese or slicing bananas or whatever. You don't need a lot of prep time. That's going to keep that you can have in the back for finger food for kids um, just in case if you're not like a Chuck E. Cheese that's like, we're all about kids. <laughs> so, I mean, I wouldn't have a stock. It depends on the restaurant, man. I wouldn't have a stock of stuff around just in case kids wander in. You have to think about what kind of restaurant it is. I'm thinking about restaurant B, the burger place, right? We had enough stuff on hand that if a kid showed up, we could make them something, Right. This is also where being a good customer and developing a relationship with the restaurant is important because there were people that came into that place that, like, when they brought their kids in, we had a, uh, a fancy mac and cheese on our menu for a minute, right? When that family came in, we would make the fancy mac and cheese less fancy for that child. And that was a good way to uh have that kid have some food have the restaurant still make some money and have that family still come there as that child grew up that child ordered more and more complicated things and just became a regular ass customer just very small right so uh, that place would have had bread and cheese and some sort of like vegetable kind of things where we could have made them a cheese sandwich and and some crudite kind of stuff right for a little yeah. kid to sort of gnaw on uh, the other part of it is we still live in this world where the customer responsibility and the customer onus just doesn't exist. This woman is choosing to go to a place where she has already presumed that they're not going to have anything that her child is going to want. So she's going to bring in her own food. Not only did she choose to go to that restaurant, 
knowing that full well. But she now sort of demands that she be allowed to do this ridiculous thing. And I think about what you're doing before you go to a place. What are you doing to your child if you are going out to a restaurant where that kid ain't going to be able to eat anything? That's a weird choice to make. Like, let's say you are allergic to shellfish, and I'm like, Steve, let's go to Red Lobster for dinner tonight. That's <laughs> fucked up, and then I'm going to have to make you a little sandwich in these little compartment boxes and take it to Red Lobster with us. That's yeah. <laughs> rude. So this lady is being rude across the board to everybody, right? This is selfish. Yeah. She wants to go to this place. And yeah, I, I would say her choice is this. Spend six ninety nine on chicken tenders and fries for her child, or spend 60 bucks on a fucking babysitter and go out by yourself. Because she wants to yeah. go to that restaurant. She's not taking into account that her kid can't eat there. Or she is and she doesn't care. Yeah. I feel like one of the bigger issues at play here as well is the uh, uh, you want those kids to become regulars at your restaurant. But at the same time, you don't want the restaurant to be a nursery. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's it's – do you have – are you a proponent of kids' menu or are you anti-kids' menu? I think we've touched on this in the past at some point, but uh, should, should there be a kids' menu, which is usually mac and cheese, chicken tenders, stuff that maybe the restaurant it, itself isn't known for and doesn't do, but it's stuff you can throw in a fryer and pull out of a fryer and be done? Or or should there not be a kids' menu? And uh, it's like, no, the kid can – you can order something off of, you know, off, off of the – it's just a menu. It's not yeah. adult. It's not kid. It's This is the food we have. Again, it depends on the place. So, like, I'm thinking about, um, like, you go to a, a burger place, right? I, we just went to Culver's not long ago. My son has now graduated off of their kid menu. Their kid menu is just smaller portion sizes of adult menu and simpler, right? I think that's the way to do it. There's a very fancy Italian place, that, not very fancy. There's a fancier Italian place that my wife and I went to not long ago when both of our kids were occupied with events. And they didn't have a kid menu, but they did have the option of making any of the pasta dishes plain, right? I feel like that's a good way to do it, too, because there were a lot of kids in that joint. And that seems to be what they were doing. They were like, yeah, we're slightly fancier, but we're still a family kind of place. Generally, when I see menus that have a kid's menu and it's none of what they do on their regular menu, the kid's menu is always garbage, right? Yeah. So you'll be at a barbecue place right and even if they have like a baked mac and cheese on their sides menu the kids menu mac and cheese is fucking terrible right yeah <laughs> and so i would say that bare minimum your any food that you offer on your menu should still be good right yes so it yes. shouldn't be like that ah, it's kids menu stuff like still make that good and make it what you do right if you're a, a sandwich joint have kids sandwiches have them still be good you know uh, if you are a French fine dining place, don't have a kid's menu. And if people come in with kids and they bring in a sandwich and a little Tupperware thing, fucking throw them out. Yeah. Just be like, this is not the place for you right now. Get a babysitter and come back like an adult. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree a hundred percent with the, you know, make, make the food good, whatever you're making. And yeah. it definitely makes sense to me as well to be like, no, we don't do chicken fingers and fries here. So you're not going to find that on the menu. This is what we have. And this is the kid's version of what we have. Uh, because also, unless you're a chain, you don't want to have food and be providing food that people can get anywhere. Yeah. Because why would they come to you? Right. So if you if you can instill that into some of the kids too, so the kid, where do you want to go? I want to go to Burger Joint because Burger Joint has this thing that I love. Yeah. And I can't get it anywhere else. You know, and that'll that'll bring them back. Versus, well, they do chicken fingers and fries, but they're the exact same chicken fingers and fries I can get somewhere else. So let's just go there. It doesn't matter. 
There's a restaurant called Foundation Tavern. It's over on uh, Irving Park, sort of in the old neighborhood where I used to live. And my daughter keeps bringing it up because their kid's menu, it's a burger place, it's a burger and salads and grilled chicken and fish kind of place. Uh, their kid's menu, instead of being like, oh, it's a kid burger, they do two sliders, which is adorable. And it makes the kid feel like these were made for me. It's not just like this throwaway thing where it's like, oh, well, we have this little ass burger, whatever. And what the trick is about it, it works for the restaurant, it works for the customers as well. They have a Wagyu three slider appetizer on their menu so it's this rectangular plate three sliders on it and it's this wonderful japanese beef and it's great whatever the kid version the kid burger essentially is just two of those but it's regular burger patties but they're they're little right sliders but it looks kind of fancy and my daughter the, the last time we ate there was like four years ago still enamored with it still brings it up like whenever it's like ah, i don't want to make dinner where do we want to go she still brings that place up because she was meant to, she was made to feel that not only was there appropriate kid food there, but it was made with intent and care for her. Right? Yeah. It wasn't some throwaway thing. The way that vegetarians talk about, like, at a steakhouse, the vegetarian option is just all of the vegetable sides, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you go through the trouble of actually concocting something, they just feel better about it. That's what my daughter found. She found kids' food made with care and with intention, right? Would I ever, this is the last thing i want to say about this would i ever bring my own food to a restaurant for my children beyond the time when they could actually speak no yeah so that's where i finally came to rest on that the chef part of it informs that but the dad part like i would just be embarrassed if a server looked at me and i was handing my child a sandwich that i made at home at a restaurant i would be embarrassed by that yeah i um and um yeah at the very least it's rude yeah um at the very least like go to a movie theater Bring your own television with you. Sit in the movie theater. Don't pay for a ticket and watch a different movie. See how far that gets you. <laughs> At a sold-out show. I went and saw Fast X last night. Not proud of it, but I did it. And I took my son, and he's never seen any of the Fast and Furious movies. So watching that one out of context for him made it that much better. Because that movie is abjectly insane. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. I love every minute of it. <laughs> Down below us, two rows down and a couple of seats over, was a dude watching a basketball game on his phone. And I didn't have to do anything about it because the guy who was one row beneath us and a couple of seats down dumped his entire popcorn over the guy's head. And uh, that dude stood up and uh, the fellow who dumped his popcorn over the guy's head had already, I guess, called security because security was on the way in. So that dude stood up and then security removed him. I bet he paid for a ticket. But why would you come into a movie and watch a basketball game on your phone high holding it high enough that everybody else is distracted by it why would you do that yeah yeah so it's not quite the same but just like the level of rudeness that's that's on par it's the same if you go in take a space in a restaurant don't order anything and fart all night right right, right, right. that yeah that movie is so dumb i cannot wait to see <laughs> the very last one do they have a last one in mind so after we left the movie my son turned to me and he goes they're never going to stop making these movies and i was like yeah i think you're probably right uh but this is designed to be the second to last one okay so it's the 10th one in the series <laughs> they're gonna end with 11 yeah if you don't count hobbs and shaw uh which i love it's a fucking masterpiece 
and uh there's supposed to be an 11th movie why maybe their amp goes to 11 i don't think they thought yeah i was gonna say is this just a spinal tap homage yeah or they're going to completely disavow tokyo drift i don't know Uh. (laughs) ah but they called they still called it 10 though this was still fast 10 (laughs) that's a good point i fast xi (laughs) who knows this is not a movie where we talk about the fast and furious franchise (laughs) they do there's no food in fast and furious aside from han constantly eating snacks because he's trying to quit drinking uh trying to quit smoking and they're always drinking coronas that's it there's no other food i don't know how they don't all like uh completely freak out all the time because they're super hungry nobody eats in those movies at all except for han and everybody's drinking coronas Okay, so a little bit of a a digression. Surprise, surprise. So have we talked about Donald Pleasance? Uh, I think so, but I don't know how. So um, this is just, this is, this will be short. So Donald Pleasance, (laughs) British actor, he was the president in uh, Escape from New York, I think. Um, He was in a Columbo episode, Kale and I, and and first encountered him consciously in uh, a Columbo episode where he runs a vineyard. And um, he kills his brother, half brother, to keep the vineyard. And uh, it's a, it's one of the, uh, it's a really good Columbo episode. And we were like, we should watch as much Donald Pleasant stuff as we can. And he's in classic British fashion in a lot of really bad movies. Yeah, he's in a um, uh, one they do on MST3K called Puma Man. <laughs> uh that that kayla watches quite a bit but anyway we d- we decided that we thought that one of or we figured out that one of the reasons he takes a movie just based on the ones that we've seen and what goes on in the movie is oh he says yes i'll do this movie but you have to provide food or write a scene where my character is eating so i get fed because in like 80 percent of the movies that he's in there's a scene where he's eating <laughs> and uh we just feel like as an actor is like write a scene where i'm eating and i'll do the movie um, which is a great way to get fed if you're worried about you know them not providing food otherwise. Huh. I I guess because I listened to some commentary. There's a great podcast out there called How Did This Get Made. I'm not informing anyone of that. That's a super popular. Everybody listens to that show. They did an episode about either the eighth or the ninth movie. I can't remember. Also, they all kind of run together, <laughs> where two of the main characters are in Hong Kong question mark and they are eating noodles and one of the actors is in every shot eating some noodles and the other one is <laughs> frantically waving her chopsticks around and not eating anything and i didn't notice it i'm going to be re-watching all of those movies because my son now wants to see all of them not in a rabid sense but he's just fascinated like the way you would be fascinated by a car accident and so we're I, by the time we get to that because you're right like there are a lot of takes there's a lot if you are if food is involved in a scene there's a lot of set dressing there's a lot of prep you have to do for that and it still it has to be something that's not going to make the actor sick but there's a chance they're going to have to eat a lot of it depending on how many takes there are the one actor in this scene is trying her damnedest to interact with the food but not eat any of it right <laughs> so it must have been like take 40 is the one that they finally were like okay we'll keep this one and she's like god damn it i can't stir this ramen around anymore you know <laughs> so i'll have to look out for that that's the kind of thing that i can't watch movies without seeing now 
Yeah. Where like you get to a movie like the menu, and this is something we didn't even talk about, but like I wonder because of the intricacies of those plates and how particularly they were designed, how many takes that they were actually able to get before the folks on set were just like, we can't keep making this food over and over again. It's too intricate. It's too crazy. And they did stylize it in such a way that you would only see like one sort of anonymous bite done by a character, but you didn't really know who it was. So it wasn't like everybody was constantly eating, but boy, that must've been a logistical nightmare to get the shots they needed without making everybody eat a thousand million calories on set. Yeah. And, and also just waste all the food or yeah. the, the, the expense of whatever that would have been as well. Because although he said they had everything there, I doubt they actually <laughs> did on set. <laughs> we have been watching the Harry Potter movies because my daughter's been choosing those for her choice for pizza and movie night. And we watched the second to last one last night. Oh, there you go. Maybe, just like Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2, maybe Fast X will be Fast X Part 1 and Fast X Part 2. So they won't have to do an 11 ah there you go so those movies people are eating fucking constantly and by people i mean ron weasley is constantly eating so how uh that dude isn't you know dursley size i don't understand (laughs) because he is eating and in fact the other characters talk about it they're like how are you eating so much all the time that is definitely a food forward series of movies yeah Uh, In, in, uh, in a weird and sort of gross way chocolate frogs still freak me out I think if if I just I was put on the spot and I was like, what's the worst food movie or food in a movie? I would have to say that um, because I, and in my mind, this blends with Potter. But I, I think Potter was legit food. It's been a while since I've seen any of the Potter movies. But I think Hook yep. had the worst food. The food fight in Hook? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it was just like uh, dyed whipped cream or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or yogurt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although the one thing that they really did well in Hook, as long as we're going to talk about food and movies, when you look at that table, when Robin Williams first is able to actually see the food, it is legitimately like a soft focus kid version of what fancy food would be, right? Because there were like chicken legs, but they were clearly glazed with like strawberry jam or something. Like everything was very shiny. Everything was very sticky. Everything was very sweet looking, but it was all based on real food. And so that was always very charming to me. And then they started fucking throwing that shit at each other. And I was just like, come on, why are we throwing food at each other? <laughs> I don't know if uh, any of your relatives have been a part of any movie that requires food fights. But we were watching an interview with um, Tim Conway uh, after he did Shaggy Dog. I think he, he was like a, um, a delivery guy or something in Shaggy Dog. And uh, there was a food fight like with pies in that. Huh. And they were just talking to him. He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah, everyone watches that. And they think, oh, it's so much fun. He's like, but it's the worst thing to film because what <laughs> you don't understand is so you've got this cream. It's basically just whipped cream or whatever. Yeah. Right. And you get hit with it, which is fine for the first the first time. But then you're under the hot studio lights. And he says, and after a while, that just starts to stink. Ugh. And he says, and it's just that smell just permeates everything. And then you have to do more takes. And then you, then you go home and you shower and you come back the next day and they look at the picture or whatever. And like, well, we have to put it here, here, here. And they cover you with that stuff again. (laughs) And then by the time you're, um, you know, they get to your shot, it's stinking already. And, uh, um, yeah. So, uh, uh, food fights, um, notoriously, I guess, awful to film. Ladies and gentlemen, I know we have a couple of folks who work in the film industry who listen, which is awesome. Thank you for your 
time that you're giving us, uh, especially <laughs> during the writer strike, solidarity, whatever. Um, I'm a huge fan of writers. So best way to get a hold of us in the weeds WBR at gmail.com for any sort of like a long form thing. If you're more of an Instagram person like I am, Chef Ben Randall on Instagram. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, which I don't monitor as closely as I should. And Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds WBR.com. What are the trials and travails that we don't know about for organizing food on film? Because I know some of the stuff. Like we've talked in the past about there's a scene in The Force Awakens where they are at Maz Kanata's cantina and Ray, the character Ray, is supposed to be holding some sort of space food. It's a half a gala apple with a Romanesco stuck in the top of it. It's sort of like this um, fractally looking broccoli stuck in the top of it. It's not space food, right? Like that's <laughs> just that's just two pieces. That's a piece of fruit and a piece of vegetable stuck together. Nobody gives a shit about that except me. Usually when you see space food, it's like that horned melon, right? That orange spiky thing because that also does kind of look like an alien egg or something, right? what is what is the worst food to have to eat on camera what is the easiest to manage what's the worst to source like we want to know all of that kind of stuff because to me it ruins the magic a little bit when i can tell like somebody pours a red wine right and you're like that is not red wine like i know what the fuck red wine looks like <laughs> what is this red food colored water and how is it you didn't have six bucks to just like go get red wine right uh when things like that pop up and again i know i'm the only one who cares but when i see ray holding a half a gala apple with a romanesco on top of it it's just like come on uh and who's in charge of that? Like, are there specific people who do food styling for movies? Or does it just happen to be some set decorator who is just like, all right, Claude, today it's your turn to, you know, manage the pumpkins or whatever. I want to know all that stuff because that's fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I, they definitely had a food stylist for the menu. And they, they, they even hired yes. a cinematographer, right, who, who, did, who does uh, food stuff. Um, and, a, and a chef they, they hired yeah. a, a team a cinematographer who just yeah just films food and a chef out of california whose name i forget i feel bad i forget her name now um to design all the dishes they did for hannibal as well because he's supposed to be you know very hoity-toity with that kind of thing so they they a hired gourmand. someone yeah. yes um i feel like they did a really good job with next generation food um, yeah. I was initially thinking of the time that Riker makes eggs because I thought, you know what, really easy to do, get just paint chicken eggs to look like different kind of eggs, like airbrush yeah. something on because then you still have the egg inside. You know, eggs are eggs, yeah. but it's going to be something an egg that you've never seen if you um, airbrush it to be weird colors. It's hey, it's an alien egg. Right. Um, but also all the Klingon food. Yeah. I think they did a good job of you know. Um, and the mealworms and different things yep. that they, they use in different places. So, But pasta, I would think, would be a great way to go because um, you can do so much with it. You can do so many different shapes with it or whatever yeah. to make it look like different things. So, Well, and we've talked about this before, how sci-fi has this obsession with the future being basically noodle-based, right? Yeah. And I think part <laughs> of that is the notion that there's going to be two hegemons that are vying for power in the future, one of which is going to be China, one of which is going to be Western civilization. Is that going to be the United States? I don't know. I feel like we're living through the fall of Rome right now in the United States. <laughs> but the future oh. looks like people think Blade Runner, right? Think um, Firefly. Think uh, 
Cowboy Bebop, right? Like, uh, what's its face? Um, the Fifth Element. You roll up to a noodle shop, you get a bowl of noodles, and you get arrested, right? Like, that's just how this seems to go. I bet it's also really easy to film and take small bites of so you can do lots of takes, right? Yeah. Also, it's dynamic. Like, a sandwich, you need two hands. It's hard to hold a conversation with that sort of thing. You can do noodles with one hand. They're encapsulated. They're in a bowl. You can put a lot of different stuff in there. So I bet that's the case. But I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Like, it feels like the worst thing to give somebody would be, like, a meatball sub and be like, hey, you have to act <laughs> against this meatball sub. Also, a bowl of noodles can change shot to shot, and you're not really going to notice. But you'll notice if there's a bite out of a meatball sub and sauce all down someone's shirt, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and costuming would not enjoy that either, if it, unless right. it was scripted. Well, yeah, 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 exactly. If it's, what's the guy's name from Popeye? The guy, the hamburger guy? Uh, 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 Wimpy? Yeah, yeah. That dude always seemed to have a little bit of hamburger effluvium on his on his shirt, you know. <laughs> effluvium. <laughs> uh, I, uh, uh, hamburger effluvium, I think, is a great name for a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's all foam courses that taste like hamburgers. <laughs> gross uh all right (laughs) (laughs) so we've tapped that out um i would love to get into this article from yahoo news woman accused of breaking into restaurant to make a salad ruins 500 dollars worth of food items yeah she seems real happy about it and if that's her mugshot yeah and the other thing i think that's crazy about her mugshot here is that she also doesn't appear to be um completely uh drunk out of her gourd right which is what I would assume based on the headline. Yeah, so this, now that I'm looking at the article, I don't remember where this is. However, quote, a woman was arrested after being accused of breaking into a restaurant over the weekend. According to a warrant obtained by Channel 2 Action News on Saturday, Rome police officers, that's Georgia, okay, uh, were called to the Harvest Moon Cafe about a woman who had entered the store. Police said, I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not making this name up. 23-year-old Callie Elizabeth Thwett somehow got inside the restaurant after it had been closed and opened the food coolers. Thwett then made a salad. Officers said she touched several food items with her bare hands, rendering those ingredients no good. Officials said the total value of the food items was $500. Authorities did not specify what ingredients Thwett put in her salad. She was charged with theft by taking. Is there... What other kind of theft is there? I wondered the same thing. Theft by omission? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I guess there is. There's like Grand Theft Auto. There's larceny. There's all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, I guess theft there's, there's by that, destruction. Like um, theft by empire, right? Like when you just go colonize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Theft by destruction. I wonder if that's a thing. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, I don't really feel like I need to say this. You are all quality, upstanding human beings who listen to this show. Don't break into a restaurant when it's closed and put your dirty ass paws all over all their food and make yourself like, how good was that salad that it was worth being arrested for? What kind of fucking salad did she make? These are the questions I have. I mean, and what if I was going to if I was going to break into a restaurant to steal some food, would it be a salad? No, no, no. I mean, that's this is the um the opposite of a food heist right so yeah you're absolutely right in her uh mug shot she does not look like she smoked a bunch of meth and then decided to break into a place and make a salad i do not have 
any idea what the motivation is. As someone who doesn't eat a lot of salads, I don't get this whole story, right? Everything <laughs> about this is strange to me. Um, it's a lot of effort. So think about just like calories in, calories out. It's a lot of physical effort to break into a place. Are you recouping those calories with a salad? I don't know. I would, I would <laughs> hazard to say absolutely not. So... I'm, it's it's so like... hard. It's so hard to run a restaurant right now without sweaty people breaking into your restaurant and making salads for themselves. See, I think maybe her last name is pronounced differently, and she thought this was pretty sweet. <laughs> Could be. Twenty. Okay. Also, like maybe there's a gen uh, a generational gap there. Like I don't know what twenty three year olds think. I don't know how they operate. I don't listen to their music. Maybe breaking into a restaurant, making yourself a salad, is like a cool TikTok trend. I don't know. <laughs> right like i need someone to explain this to me and i don't even know who to ask none of my siblings are even this age yeah uh it's there, there i feel like there's definitely more to this story like there's got like did she used to work there that was my first thought um because it's just really there's so much about it that's really was the door just open so she wasn't breaking in she was like hello hello and then well i hear i'm here i'm gonna make myself a salad which also you shouldn't do but uh so um, personal story again from yesterday that kind of thing happens right my we were invited to a, a, a barbecue yesterday sort of like our, our old neighbors from our old neighborhood um were having a little get together in their backyard and they invited us over so we said okay I was going to get my haircut, so I was going to meet my family there. They went to a bakery to just grab some pastries and stuff to take over so they wouldn't show up empty-handed. The rest of my family did. They get to this bakery where we know the owner, we know the some of the people who work there. Door was open, lights were on, open sign was out, and there was nobody in the joint. <laughs> they waited for a couple of minutes and didn't know what to do. And so my wife called the place, you know, from within the place, right? Calls coming from within the house. Called them. And the owner was off that day and her brother picked up the phone because I guess he lives directly above and came down and he was in a state, right? Because I guess there was an employee who was supposed to be there who just pieced the fuck out, just walked out, oh. left everything on, left the doors open, register the whole deal. So they were very fortunate that my family was the ones who showed up because that place could have gotten ransacked. But like I yeah. said, we know the people, we know the place. And, and they were happy to be the ones who were like, oh, no, no, we this is fine. Please sell us some of your pastries. We just want to get out of here. But, like, you should be aware that your joint is just open with nobody here. I hope it's not the baker who we know personally. And I also hope everybody's okay, right? Because they also, yeah. like, my family didn't go looking in the back. Like, maybe somebody fell off a ladder or something. We don't know. So it happens. Doors get left unlocked. Security systems get left untriggered or whatever, right? Yeah. But at no point as just like a customer ass person, should you feel comfortable going back in the kitchen and just making yourself a salad? Yeah. Nah. Oh, um, so this, I found another news story. All of them pretty much have the same information. This one gave me a little bit more, gave me a little bit more. Um, and it says just before 2 a.m. after uh, the woman was seen inside the restaurant. So <laughs> what are you doing with your life that you're jonesing for a salad at 2 a.m.? <laughs> Again, it just raises more questions. It really does. Uh, I also want to look up... I mean, Harvest Moon Cafe. That's a hippie-ass name, so I bet you it's either vegan or vegetarian forward kind of a joint. I don't know. Oh, that's a good good thought. Harvest Moon Cafe, Rome, 
Georgia. This reminds me, there was a thing three or four years ago where a dude showed up at a Waffle House, which I still contend is in the running for one of the worst restaurants in America. And he showed up at a Waffle House, which is famously open 24 hours. At, yeah, like a two or a three o'clock in the morning kind of a thing. And the staff had all decided to sleep, which, you know, if your Waffle House doesn't do a lot of traffic at that time, fine. Manager was asleep in the office. Cooks and servers were asleep <laughs> in banquettes. This guy went in the back, made himself all of his own food, did a video of it, took pictures and all this kind of stuff, left money, and then took off. And uh, Waffle House decided not to press charges because it was pretty goddamn funny. And he left more money than the food was worth, right? That's different than this lady. You're chuckling. What did you find? Oh, no. I was just laughing at the idea that everyone just fell asleep at a Waffle House. Like, the smoke bomb went off and the Joker came in and made himself <laughs> some... Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I did find their menu. And, Ben, it is not a vegan place. They have Thai chicken. They have main lobster roll, shrimp oh, and grits, shit. grilled salmon... Wrong. There's, they have three salads on their menu, uh, a house salad, a southern cob salad, and a grain bowl. So, again, more questions. Uh, their grain bowl, grain mix, craisins, pumpkin seeds, garbanzo beans, avocado, cherry tomatoes, jalapenos, boiled eggs, spring mix, cucumbers, citrus, citrus yogurt dressing. Uh, yeah, I have to break in at 2 a.m. to get me one of them. Now, here's here's the next question. This is This is way out there, and I'm certain this is not the answer, but... In a very disrespectful term that diminishes the plight of inner city folks who had crack cocaine injected into their communities by the CIA back in the 80s, people will claim that something has crack in it when they are trying to indicate that it's very, very good and they can't stop eating it. Right. If a restaurant were ever to put an addictive chemical of some sort into their food with the intent of selling more of it than they normally would have, would you choose a salad? And is this lady actually the victim? And is she addicted to their citrus yogurt dressing? Because it has like legitimately uh, LSD or some sort of an addictive. It's got meth in it or something. Maybe this I, is not her fault. Maybe she's a meth zombie for their grain bowl salad. Yeah, I, I don't. It's just uh, they're so it doesn't seem like they have a robust salad, um, <laughs> you know, uh, menu or or uh, fixins at the place so they lucked out if it was only five hundred dollars they have uh they could have ended up with uh, a lot of their meats um contaminated right uh, if their... she made herself a lobster roll salad yeah um some of their fish uh she didn't dive into their um barrel aged maple old fashions uh, or their bourbon or what the ingredients for the old fashioned so uh yeah she's just really she really wanted uh uh, maybe she, maybe they have a really good spring mix, which is used in both their house <laughs> and Southern Cobb salad. Uh, their dried cranberries are to die for, or at least to uh, go to jail for. Weird. Hmm. If if you if you were like, okay, Ben, in order to eat tomorrow, you have to break into a restaurant. What restaurant would it be? Or at least what would they be serving? Steak. I'm breaking into a steak place. Yeah, I was a steakhouse or a barbecue joint, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess if if I'm a vegetarian. There's got to, there's still got to be better options than Harvest Moon. And nothing against Harvest Moon Cafe it does not look like bad food. Right. The, the menu doesn't look bad at all. They, they very it seemed interesting, and it would be a place I would check out. But um, it's not a place I'm gonna break into to make a salad. No, I mean you've got to be really dedicated to that salad life to break into a place at two o'clock in the morning just to make a salad. 
I don't even know where I like if it was like, okay, to eat tomorrow, A, it's gotta be a salad, B, you have to break into a place. I don't know where it would be. <laughs> right. Is this one of the squid games? Yeah. That's another show I didn't uh watch, but I feel like I can make a cultural reference with that. I feel I feel like it would have to be like a sweet tomatoes or a soup plantation sort of a where the 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 salad buffet places. Oh, there you where, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like, okay, well there'd be a variety of stuff. Um if I'm real hard pressed Ponderosa, that's just about to say bar. Bonanza, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but um, or or there's uh there's a salad place in Grand Rapids that we went to once I forget what it was called like their whole thing was salads yeah you know and they had protein you could put on the salad so it's like hey add grilled chicken and it's this much yeah. or whatever so they should have a bunch of salad fixins right but uh yeah I don't know just a place that does a cob salad I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> right you're really jonesing for blue cheese and diced up hard boiled eggs and turkey. Yeah, I think the the moral of this is don't thwet it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This Whatever lady, you do. I don't know. I'm hoping, like, my chef brain is hoping that she gets, like, 900 years jail time, but that's not going to be the case. <laughs> it's going to be a misdemeanor, and she's going to get fined, and that's it. Yeah. At best. Well, she'll have to pay them the $500, perhaps? Probably, yeah. Um. So, it was. It's. I mean, was the salad worth the 500 bucks? you got to ask yourself that. And a lifetime ban from Harvest Moon Cafe. Yeah. Or she's their new, um, they're getting rid of the cow as a mascot, and she will be it um, from now on. Because, I mean, yeah, this is how good our food is. Me as a restaurant owner, because I would be, I would be a pretty good restaurant owner, but I would get in trouble pretty consistently for stuff like this. I would name a menu item after her immediately. Like, I would invent (laughs) a salad. If I didn't know what she actually made, I would invent a salad, and it would be the Thwetty salad. And... (laughs) I would have it on the menu at five hundred dollars, yeah. just to see if anybody would would ever order it. A salad with sweet meats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, that's as much mocking a twenty three year old lady as I feel like I want to do today. Where do you yep, want to head yep. next? Um, I don't know. I will say uh, this. I don't. This isn't really much to talk about. But your your um, orange peel made it to Pete. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter? So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not aware, I've now reached this point in my life where I want to buy fewer things, I want to make more things, and I want to throw fewer things away. So, I've been looking around my house trying to figure out, like, what do we throw away? And what can I do with those things instead? And, like, we have a lot of citrus peels at my house. My wife is on this. She says it's not a diet. I contend that anybody, everybody's on a diet. Like, Cows are on a diet. It just happens to be like the all-grass diet, right? Like, everybody's on yeah. a diet. I am on a diet. It tends to be high in carbs and cheese. And she's eating a lot of citrus these days. Whatever. It's it's a thing she's doing. I'm, I'm not sad about it, right? We should all be eating more fruits and vegetables. And it's a lot of orange peels. And would we compost them normally? Sure, we would. But I was like, wait a minute. I have a dehydrator. I'm going to dehydrate these orange peels. And then I bought a fancy grinder so I can grind them up. And so I have lemon... I have dehydrated lemon peel powder. I have dehydrated lime peel powder. And I have dehydrated orange peel powder. And a fellow who we had on the show a while back, uh, Pete Cacase. Is that how he said his name is spell, is pronounced? My bad if it's not. Uh, who makes sausages out in Rupert, Vermont uh, for a local community area there, right? He does farmer's markets and such. Uh, indicated that he would be happy to take some of that stuff off my hands because i also don't have a plan for it 
my daughter makes candles. We may make orange candles out of them at some point. But I sent it to him, and he uh, reported that he's going to be using it in an orange chicken fennel sausage. Is that what I saw? He said he he's uh, I've gotten some serious generous gifts lately. I've used them to make two great uh, to to take two great sausages to another level. So I don't know if they're both in the same sausage or two different sausages. Um, yeah, it was oh. Uh, Oh, for the orange fennel, yeah. So orange fennel sausage is what he was using it for. I don't know about what the meat was. Maybe you and I had theorized that it would be chicken. Um, yeah. So I'm very excited to see how that works out for him because, again, like, this now becomes a zero-waste thing where my wife ate the rest of that orange and I was able to repurpose that orange peel into something that is essentially a value-added product, right? Like, it's not just we composted it which is fine but like now it is something that has a purpose that's awesome and so yeah pete glad to send that to you man i'm, I'm glad that's working out yeah and anyone that lives out there uh crooked barn charcuterie is um his place so go check it out and let us know how it is and this is a legit picture of it after it got to you on instagram i believe so or, yeah or twitter instagram instagram um and and it, so go look at Ben's Instagram to find this, but it looks like orange glitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, to me, or I mean, it looks a little bit different, but also reminiscent of craft uh, cheese powder. A little bit. Yeah, I I'm, how, with this with this grinder, I'm able to get it pretty darn fine. How disappointed or surprised in a good way would you be if uh, you used this to make mac and cheese and then took a bite and were like, oh, that's not cheese. <laughs> orange mac and cheese. Yeah. Gross. I have been tempted because I have more because my wife's constantly eating oranges and I'm I'm just dehydrating them and powdering them. I've been tempted to, you know, there's like a, there's a olive oil cake, an Italian olive oil cornmeal cake that you put a bunch of lemon into i've been tempted to adjust that recipe to take this orange powder um i've been tempted to make frosting out of it for cupcakes because i feel like Ooh. that would be the trick is is that it's a lot of orange flavor you have to be real careful with how much you use we mixed um we mixed some of the powder itself with sugar and i put that on top of cranberry orange scones that i made at mother's day and that was also like you are not making a mistake. You are like, holy fuck, this is orange, right? Like, it's it's a lot of orange flavor. But it's also a lot of orange flavor in a really efficient package, right? Like, it's not difficult to get a lot of orange flavor into a sm uh, with, with a small amount of that stuff, which is also, I like that quite a bit. When I do develop barbecue rubs, I feel like the orange powder is going to be the base of one of them. I think I'm going to make like a wing rub that's going to be heavily citrusy and it's going to be this orange peel powder nice with like smoked onions and jalapeno peppers and and stuff like that um it does it, it seem like something that's rather versatile uh yeah. in terms of repurposing something that you would just compost anyway yeah and like i said i've got a bunch of basil i'm growing i've got a bunch of oregano i'm growing i'm gonna plant some sage fairly soon so the idea that i can dry those herbs out as well and add those to rubs and stuff like that i'm i'm pretty excited about that like i I'll wonder if we could get some more lemons into the house so i could make a lemon powder and i could do like a greek chicken rub with dry oregano and dry lemons and white pepper and stuff like that oh yeah i did uh did you mention other rubs i there i bet you could do quite a few different rubs yeah. like different mixes you now you said you had some lemon some orange and what was the third one lime lime 
that makes sense <laughs> well the limes are interesting because it's not just the peel right i had a, I, I can't help it you go to the grocery store and you're like i need one lime i'm making guacamole and the lime bin says like five for a dollar and you're like fuck yeah i'm gonna buy five of them what do you do with the other four limes man well <laughs> i uh just sliced them into wheels and dehydrated them and ground those up and yeah it yielded kind of a lot i was really surprised oh so that's that's the whole thing then uh lime town not just the, <laughs> not not just right. the peel so you just sent me a new article about the folks that we talked about at horses in la do you want yeah. to go into this right away uh, sure we can it was from one day ago i was just curious i was like oh we'll catch up on some stuff what are i wonder if there's any other news about any of this and that that was in my uh when i was looking at our texts that was on uh one of them so this is from eater um via msn though um the horses saga appears to have escalated this week with an extensive report by grub street which they link to i think herein um and then they've sort of condensed this into the 10 takeaways from that um so let's just jump to the takeaways, I guess. Um, and did we land on a pronunciation for this name no. that we're both going to get wrong? I was pretty um, sure I was doing it wrong. Yeah. Will so, is his first name? What is it? Will. Will. Okay. Despite Will claiming in that, in fact, Johnson was behind one of the kitten deaths, he also allegedly said, and so what if I did when questioned by a member of the horse's kitchen staff? He spilled the beans on himself, alleges horse's co-chef. Um uh Criza Villaflor. Um that's a that's a that's a comic book name in a good way. Um so <laughs> potentially did kill a kitten, which is never a good look. No. Uh number two, while working at New York City's uh my uh, Mimi, uh Will allegedly mixed worms into a grinder with monkfish and sheep's liver and fed it to the staff for a family meal. The staff often found his food so inedible that management would buy pizza what yikes this is offensive on so many levels yeah especially if he wasn't telling anybody if it was like experimental you know sustainable protein kind of stuff like that's fine but you have to let people know you're doing that yeah was it was it uh i'm uh again he's this is now i believe he'd break into a restaurant to make a salad uh now i was able to bring this article up if you want to just uh hopscotch this one uh three yeah. in an incident at catbird seat which we learned was their previous restaurant in georgia i think so will asked the kitchen crew to cut away the ears and hack away at rabbit skulls to safely remove their brains as a quote group project will later confirmed the incident but claimed it was for sustainability okay so this he's seeming more and more like a serial killer yeah agreed uh, yeah, four. Multiple people claim to have heard Will making racial comments about Koreans, including one where he allegedly remarked uh, that they're dirtier versions of Japanese people. Ugh. He also allegedly said, "I think Hitler had some pretty good ideas." That's that's comic. That's the comic book. Uh, do people actually say that? Um, in as much as I have heard a lot of infield chatter working in restaurants, people will say anything. I now believe everything. And it's not, actually, that's not new for me. If somebody said to me, oh, this chef said this thing, I would just be like, okay. Because people say the most absolutely insane shit when the door to the dining room is closed and you feel like everybody around you agrees with you or is paid to agree with you. Yeah. Well, and he has denied all of these statements. Yeah. Five, David Mahe 
Mile. Everybody in this also has the most insane names. Like, why? <sighs> okay. A chef who worked at Catbird Seat claims that Will would purposefully ignore customer allergy requests and once tried to serve a shipment of crabs that had been improperly refrigerated. After objecting to Will regarding the crabs, mail was sent home for the day. Will denied ever serving compromised crabs. Uh, again, totally believe it. Because let's say you get in a shipment of crabs and you have built a blue crab special for the day and you are a less than conscientious chef, you're like, well... I don't have time to send these back and get new ones. We're just serving these. They're going to be cooked. They're going to be fine anyway, which is not always the case. How does a person like this get to this level, provided uh, uh, any of this is true? <laughs> the celebrity chef machine in this country, which not for nothing is uh, fueled in a, a large sense through food media. Yeah. allows doesn't even allow people to do this kind of stuff it emboldens people to do this kind of stuff because yeah. you get to a point we've talked about this before you get to a point where a food media is telling you everything you do is great at that point anything you do is great so if you are the guy who gets a shipment of bad crabs and decides to sell them anyway the food media has already told you that what you do is great you're being supported by this vampiric system because food media also thrives on drama. This article we're reading right now is not only the effect of food media telling these guys everything you do is great, but now they also get to capitalize on reporting on how bad they are, even yeah. though the food media, to a certain degree, invented these people. Yeah. So that. That's the short story. Um, our number six is about the kitten. Uh, they'd gotten it in Nashville. It ended up dying a few weeks later. Uh, Villaflor alleges that he said cats suck and expressed his distaste for them. After the kitten was apparently injured while alone with one of the couple's dogs, Will allegedly said, it's fine, cats just die. <laughs> Which is true, but also, yikes. Yeah, I mean, it, even if it was all just completely an accident or whatever, um, this tells me that he's not a sensitive guy. Yeah. Emotional intelligence, very low. Seven, multiple staff members of Catbird Seat staff claim to have observed combative language between Johnson and Will, including Johnson verbally assaulting Will. Others claim Will told Johnson that she can't cook and that everybody hates you. Uh, a close friend of Will said he never observed any of the behavior or racially divisive comments. And then threw a brick through his James Beard award. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, There's, oh man, Steve, we could talk for four hours about the epidemic in my industry of but he was always so nice to me yeah to which i say murderers tend to have lots of friends who are still alive yeah that doesn't mean they're not murderers they would have given themselves away if they killed everyone they met <laughs> yeah that's true that's true um this though i mean this screams like this is not even middle school because there's no playground but this is elementary school playground everybody hates you you can't cook yeah that's like Ugh. All right. Um, after reports that Will had been verbally abusive to Johnson and other members of the staff, the two chefs were locked out of the premises and summarily fired by Catbird seat owners, uh, Benjamin and Max Goldberg. So they nice. were fired from their previous restaurant. That is news to me. So uh, at the very least, there's like a shade of accountability there. Yeah. 
Nine, after Johnson's request for a restraining order was approved, Will was allegedly found sleeping in the staff lockers overnight. On more than one occasion, he was also allegedly found hiding in a dumpster. <laughs> this is so easy to make into a TV show that it's got me wondering if this is not just a pitch for a TV show. <laughs> yeah, but is it comedy, tragedy, or both? I don't know. Like, if The Bear is a, like, gritty realistic tv show this one would be the cocaine bear yeah yeah um johnson now the quote solo face of horses which i presume means she dresses like han <laughs> um to come into work due to the ongoing leave by will is said to have reached out to the restaurant's pr person to try and improve her perception asking to be placed on the tonight show with jimmy fallon <laughs> since fallon had a good experience there in the past uh i just need to get myself in front of the public and show that I'm real, a real, likable, normal person, Johnson's reporting to have said. That that seems to be aiming pretty high for, like, look, there's a huge scandal here. Wouldn't it be great if I could get on a talk show with Jimmy Fallon? And and there's a writer's strike, so no. Right. Um, that's not happening right away. But, also, but that, I don't know. I mean, this is not a good look for him, but that, to me, seems, uh, I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's grasping at straws. But it also seems like so. Are you? Is it just about the fame? Then is it just about? So, the the restaurant industry is also plagued by what I consider to be abusive fathers, right? Where the chef yells at you the one day and then buys the entire staff around of drinks the next night, right? So it's your dad hits you and then buys you a bike the next day. It's the exact same ethos. It's the exact same procedure of I'm going to make this better through something performative, right? We've talked about this over and over again. So, unfortunately, Johnson is is falling victim to that exact same structure, which is not, I want all of this to go away, so I'm going to buckle down, I'm going to do my job, I'm going to rally my troops, I'm going to be, you know, the strong leader in my restaurant, and we're going to operate. She's saying... I need to be very performative out in public and I need to get everybody on my side. I need to show that in the divorce, I'm the good mom and he's the bad dad. And that's that reeks of desperation is what it yeah. is. So I wonder if there are investor concerns about horses that are forcing her hand on you need to get out ahead of this. Like it is a PR issue, which it's not. It's a management issue. It's a personality issue. If there were employees involved or there was, like, an outbreak of something at the restaurant through mishandling of the food, then it's a PR issue. Right now, it's still sort of an internal thing just between the two of them. Yeah, because going on um, a PR blitz, going on Fallon or wherever, uh, the local news even, that doesn't make you a better uh, cook. It doesn't make you right. a better uh, manager. It doesn't make you a better uh, scheduler. It doesn't make you a better person. <laughs> you know, so if if a lot of this seems to be like um, it, it's just you everyone the the two of them together were not they were uh, uh, tinderbox in the kitchen. Um, yeah, you know, uh, just uh, caustic and not not good to have them both in the kitchen at the same time. So if you want to rehabilitate your image, be a good person in the kitchen, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. And once again, what we're not seeing is we're not seeing either Will or Johnson saying to the press, ask any of my cooks what's going on. Open and honestly, ask any one of them. I won't be in the room. They will tell you exactly the truth. You're not hearing any of that, which yeah. means to me, 
uh, probably all the allegations are true. They probably were fucking nasty to both to each other constantly. Yeah. With with little regard for collateral damage. Right. Now, let's say they were to say something like that, and the Cooks were to all take, like, independently interviewed, they were all like, actually, Johnson's the worst. Will's being, you know, demonized here. Or the other way around. Or they're both, like, that still doesn't solve anything. But the fact that they are not, that we're not getting open and honest reporting or even interviews from the cooks themselves, or front of the house, I don't know. All of this is hearsay, all of this is like, oh yeah, my friend says I'm cool. Indicates that there is something to hide, probably on both sides. Now, yeah. question for you. Is all of food media breathlessly waiting for the restaurant to fold so that they can use the song Goodbye Horses? <laughs> uh, I don't know as I'm familiar with the song, so I, I don't... Who Who is that by? I just looked it up. I want to say it's from... Uh, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. It's a song by Q Lazarus. Synth pop, dark wave, new wave, and uh, and a and dance song with lyrics based on this is all from Wikipedia. So, Transcendence yeah. over those who see the world as only earthly and infinite, and androgynous vocals from Q Lazarus. Um. I would say there would be no better opportunity to use that song than uh, um, that. I mean, okay, so going back to whatever that place was that closed mid-shift, if your place is named yeah. Horses and you're there for a midday shift and this song starts playing and then it starts playing again, leave. Just You, you need a new job. Yeah. yeah, just check out. Be like, bye. <laughs> leave your tables and go. Not a good omen. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, again. I don't know, and I don't. I don't know these people. We haven't really gotten a lot of solid reporting on this. Uh, it's all believable from my perspective. The shit that I've seen in my career, it's all believable. I've seen. So I'm at Restaurant B, and it is the third year the restaurant's open, and it's the New Year's Eve party for the staff because we had a. Uh, like a blowout kind of a party for customers right but we didn't have an open menu we had flights of champagne and we had um like a charcuterie and and hot appetizers kind of a thing and you bought tickets and whatever but then after midnight we closed the restaurant down and the staff just stayed and partied uh you could get to the whole the basement and the whole length of the restaurant so from the bar area you could go down into the basement and then you could go all the way to the back and go up another flight of stairs and come up in the kitchen, right? And I intended to do that. I went down the basement stairs. I grabbed something from one of the coolers to bring upstairs. And it was just quicker to go through the kitchen. And at the top of those stairs, the two owners were, like, in a very angry, about-to-fight way, just screaming at each other. And I listened for a while, because I'm an asshole. And then I went back <laughs> upstairs, and I went into the dining hall, or the... Uh, the side dining room place, like private room. And I was like, yeah, they're screaming at each other in the kitchen. We should all stay out here for a bit. So just given that one single story, I can believe all of this. I can believe that these are people who are going home and killing cats, right? Because of whatever, right? Like the people in my industry are unstable, right? We're just fucking weirdos. And uh, that's not an excuse, but that is the truth of it. Um. So I don't know whether this adds to the credibility or not, 
Um, I just brought up the Grub Street, Grub Street, Grub Street <laughs> article. I can talk. I just choose not to. Um, which is named the cat who could kill horses. I prefer. I, I imagine it's referring rather to the kitten. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a great title there. Um, so where do you think these two met? Because I can tell you what's that. At a bar. Uh, they met while working as interns at Noma. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Sorry. Part, pardon so, my blasphemy. So uh, this is all of it. All of it. I mean, this is, again, like you said, this, this is a pitch for a TV show <laughs> of some kind. It starts at Noma, which just closed, right? I They're reconcepting into like a food lab kind of a thing. Right. Um, and there was some shady stuff going on at Noma. Am I, I, or am I conflating that with the restaurant off Seattle? Well, here's the thing. You go to a place like Noma, which I've not been to, and you go there as an unpaid intern. So right off the bat, you're being told you're doing a, a stage for eight months and we're not going to pay you. Right off the bat, that is what your value is. It is not only zero, it's less than zero because you're working and not being compensated. And you're being told you are lucky to be here. And your education is your compensation. So you're being told you're ignorant and your value, you have negative value. You're being yelled at. You're being constantly criticized. You're being, quote, held to this high standard, which is the standard is so high that the restaurant can't possibly charge enough for the food because there are hundreds of people who work there making impossibly tiny tweezer based bullshit dishes. And they have to have this fleet of, of unpaid, less than worthless staff. And that is the ethos that gets burned into you because, ladies and gentlemen, once again, as a chef, you have to understand your staff does not just learn how to brunoise from you. They are watching your behavior. They're watching how you manage, and they're learning those things, too. It's when the abusive dad has the kid yell at him, I learned it by watching you. It's exactly that. So you have two people who are being told they're less than worthless working as unpaid stages at this place where they're also being berated and screamed at and whatever and they're having that burned into themselves and then they take that out into the world and infect other people with that shit fuck all of that noise if your food is so intense and whatever that you have to abuse the people who work for you you are doing your job wrong yeah without question full stop you're doing your job wrong yes um. the fact that noma got so much bad press and they were like fine we'll pay our interns and then they immediately were like oh you know financial hardship we have to close it's like bitches you never should have been open if you couldn't pay your staff i don't give a fuck what kind of food you're doing your food could be curing cancer if you're not paying your staff you're doing it wrong absolutely um just to, i'm going to read you another paragraph from this i'm not going to get into it it's, it's but but we might want to actually look at this whole article uh, there might be some more things to talk about so a couple little other little snippets um at first uh, says a, a source close to mimi this is the restaurant that they went to um before where the, where the, the crab the bad crabs were yes yes um said uh, will was very uh, amiable but former employees said it didn't take long before he was blowing up at co-workers over perceived slights he seemed to be especially on a an especially short fuse with his wife he really just verbally abused her said uh, um, adina halpern who worked as a sous chef at the time once he saw once she saw him burn johnson with a pair of hot tongs oh fun in, in his filing will claimed johnson actually burned him in the kitchen um 
quote, Liz overcooked the chicken, became enraged at me as we talked about it, and put a metal spatula on the hot, oily griddle, then pushed it against my forearm, severely burning it and leaving a scar. He wrote, attaching a photo of the scar on his arm. A close friend of his who started working with him at Per Se um, says he saw the scar too and that it didn't look like a cooked cooking burn. He told me Liz got super angry at him over some arbitrary thing, then took a spoon, held it against a fryer, and burned him intentionally. I could point at any of my scars and make up a story. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and later down, in general, Will's approach to animals left some coworkers unsettled. On more than one occasion, he insisted on buying live turtles and butchering them himself. Uh, we were watching him do it, and there was some kind of weird, a lack of empathy, one person who worked at the restaurant said. Um, so, in, in many places, it's not legal to do in-house slaughtering. Butchery yeah, because, is fine, but in-house slaughtering is different. Because there's there's all sorts of uh, cleanliness and, and other sort of uh, uh, sanitation requirements regarding that kind of thing, right? Well, and, and, as, and like timing. Like if you're taking a live animal and making it into meat, you have to do that in a certain amount of time. Your uh, space you're operating in has to be a certain temperature. There's like viscera to handle and, and has to be disposed of appropriately, that sort of thing. Lots of places. Unless it is like blue crabs. I, I don't know why there is a difference for something like oysters which are served ostensibly live blue crabs come in and they're alive lobsters can come in alive so you are doing slaughtering on site with those but anything that's like a quote higher life form or at least more complicated you're not allowed to do that yeah so uh, like the salad story more questions than answers (laughs) yeah again so like if you were to just break it down to Two people meet each other in an intensely abusive professional situation and yes. go on to operate an intensely abusive professional situation. How fucking hard is that to believe? Yeah. I, do I want to say that Rene Redzepi is training a generation of chefs to be complete assholes? E- no, but at the same time, you can't separate that so much. Because if someone goes to do a stage at Noma, where they are devalued to the point of having negative value. But what the restaurant is telling them is, I am teaching you and that's the value you're gaining. You cannot separate that from the cooking. You can't separate the cooking education from the restaurant management devaluing of other human beings education. Both of those things are happening at the same time. So if you're telling me I could go to that place and not get paid, get paid negatively, but what I am being taught is my pay i am being taught two things that are inseparable cooking and how to be a complete asshole chef those are those are connected indelibly and if you're the type of person who is going to uh go and do an eight-month stage at a place um for your education that i'm not saying that all of these people are the same but that does take a certain type of person to be uh to, to do that put themselves through that kind of thing I don't think either of these people have being the type of people that would do that uh, are going to um, be comfortable playing second fiddle to the other person. Yeah. So as soon as one person starts to get more notoriety than the other, I think that there's a power dynamic there that's got to be at play. I mean, and and I'd see it as well when in his statement he says, "Well, she overcooked the chicken," and when I told her about it, she got mad and burned me. And it's like you have to, you have to again reiterate that she burned the chicken. Like yeah. I, I have a feeling there was a legitimate argument about that, and that he said that. Whether or not it was true, I don't know. But it, again, that's just the power dynamic in the kitchen. Is like you can't be better at me than this. 
Um, and in order to prove that, I'm going to tell you that you burned the chicken, whether or not it's true. And then we're going to have yeah. an argument about whether or not you burned the chicken uh, because I have to be better at this than you. Um, that's not not a great relationship. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, dynamic to be in by any means. Well, and it's worth saying once again, ladies and gentlemen, for any of you who are outside of the industry, if you're in the industry, you already know this. But if you're outside of the industry, whenever an abusive chef is called out for their abuses, the instant that chef starts talking about the food, they are diverting the conversation. They are no longer talking about the abuse. They are trying to get the conversation back around to something that makes them look good, right? In this case, it's the reverse, but it's the same effect. This guy is saying there was abuse. It was because of the food. Well, fuck yeah. off, right? That's a criminal offense. If this woman actually assaulted him, that's criminal, right? And so, honestly, the onus is on him. Why didn't he call the police and be like, this lady just burned me, right? Yeah. But he's got to make it about the food because that diverts the conversation, right? If two house painters stab each other, and one of them goes, well, it was because he painted the house the wrong color. That's diverting the conversation. That was still, you. The, the point of this conversation is that one of the guys got stabbed, right? The point of this conversation is someone harmed another person. The food has nothing, not a fucking thing to do with it. Yeah. Not a one. Right. And and you're not like, yeah, well, I did hire him to paint my house because he's just so good. I know he killed some people, but he's just yeah. so good at painting oh, houses. The best house painter in the world. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't get anything on the eaves. Like, I know he killed a kitten. But have you seen his dormer work? It's amazing. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. Uh, anyway, we got we we <laughs> down that rabbit hole. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take us down there, but no, that's totally totally fine. Uh, I had not um, really thought about that one again. So you know, uh, let's do one more thing, and then I'm gonna have to peace out. I've got some stuff I need to do today. I do need to build a smoker. I do need to go buy some meat. Cool. Uh, however, a, a listener named Laura was talking was was listening to a show where we were talking about monkey bread, which it turns out is uh, I'm still not sure it's not racist, but everything that I've read about it has indicated to me that the term monkey bread not racist. So, she brought this to my attention, the term monkey dish. Which, oh, right. Yeah. So, uh thank you, Laura, for that. Um I had never really thought about it because I don't know, I haven't worked at a place that uses monkey dishes in a long time. But a monkey dish is a bowl, maybe two inches across, maybe three quarters of an inch to an inch high, that you'll see at like, a, again, if you go to a Ponderosa, a Bonanza, you go to a diner, and you get something off the kids' menu, and it comes with a side of fruit. And it'll be diced up melons, or it'll be berries, or whatever. Or uh, in some cases, like if you go to a, a Japanese restaurant, and they've got the little bowl for you to dip your sushi and, and soy sauce or whatever it's that sort of a thing now is the term monkey dish racist turns out also not but again like eh, i don't know because this article that she sent me is from a company that wants to sell you monkey dishes so they're not going to be <laughs> like this shit's racist as fuck right this is from Webstaurant store so i'm going to read from their marketing materials a monkey dish also called a monkey bowl or monkey plate is a small bowl with a flat bottom that serves a variety of uses right so, why is it called a monkey dish? So, here are the three theories that this particular company, who, again, wants to sell them to you, has. One, kept by street performers. Some say the name came from organ grinders in the mid-1800s. Organ grinders were street performers that would play music using a barrel organ. It was common for organ grinders to have pet monkeys that would dance to the music and collect tips from people by passing 
uh, collect tips from people who were passing by. Some people theorize these dishes are called monkey dishes because they resemble the bowls the monkeys would use to collect money. This second theory is much more dire. Made from monkey bones. Another theory states that monkey dishes were originally made from the skulls of monkeys, which gave the dishes their name. The third theory is that used to test for poison. Hundreds of years ago, kings and queens would have monkeys test their food to see if it was, it was poisoned. A piece of each food would be given to the monkey in a small bowl to taste it, hence the name. The third one seems to me to hold more water. Steve, yeah. what do you think about these three things? Um, y- yes, I thought so too, if we're um, uh, sort of limited to those three. That that one, I mean, I the monkey grinder thing, I guess, kind of makes sense. But, but I... W- it seems more likely that something would get named w- something like monkey dish if it were used um, in dining somehow. Yeah, well, and if if I remember correctly, going back to monkey bread, the whole idea of a pull apart cinnamon bread is that you like you reach in with your fingers and you grab one and you pull it out. And it was originally named monkey bread because the similarity of that motion to a monkey pulling bananas off of a bunch of bananas was similar enough to somebody who then they were just like oh well this is this is how a monkey would eat this bread right so we're gonna call it monkey bread dipping your fingers into a bowl of that size to pull a strawberry out to pull out something that motion seems to be that same motion as if you were pulling a piece of bread off of a batch of monkey bread i would posit a fourth theory which is that the motion of pulling something out of that bowl is more akin to how you would pull monkey bread as well so i think it's probably more something like that eating finger food out of a bowl the way that a monkey would pluck something like a grape yeah. off a bunch of grapes or something like that. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's just a, it's a small serving bowl. Yeah. I was yeah. trying, I was trying to Google. I was like, okay, so what's the difference between a monkey dish and a finger bowl? Because we Roughly know what the finger same. bowls, um, yeah. you know, those have their name because it was, you just dip your fingers in it more or less to wash your hands without yeah. washing your hands. The the article that Laura sent us makes a very specific distinction between a monkey bowl and a ramekin. A ramekin having right. straight sides that go up and usually a ramekin's more like two inches tall. This is like what you would see a souffle being served in, that sort of thing. Yes. But, I mean, I think we can put this one to rest. I'm pretty sure monkey bowl is not racist. Yeah. Right. In this country, at least, ladies and gentlemen, in the United States, monkey is a derogatory term for African-American folks. Although I feel like that one's kind of gone away. It was a bigger deal when we were kids, 80s and 90s. But regardless, it still has historical import. And uh, looks like this one, I'm still worried about monkey bread. I still say cinnamon pull apart bread and people give me weird looks. But I don't want to step in that one if it turns out that it is yeah. like violently racist. You know, monkey if bowl people... seems like it's not a big deal. If people give you a hard time, just say, look, I don't say tater tots either. I say potato croquettes because, <laughs> you know, trademark. Yeah. yeah so yeah. cinnamon pulp bread is generic. You know, it's it, we, and I'm, I'm not worried about trademarks that way. The, there is there isn't or is there another name for monkey dish? Not that I'm aware of. No. So it's like a small flat bowl. <laughs> right. Right. Um. So, yeah, seems to be, I mean, unless it's actually, from, and again, that's why I think that the shape of it being so sort of uh, the same across the board is another reason why I don't think it's the monkey skull one, because you'd think there'd be a different shape if that was the origin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, yikes, whose second go-to is, well, we make them out of monkey skulls. Like, whoa. Yeah. What, do you work at horses? <laughs> I make them myself. 
All right. Well, like I said, I kind of need to peace out. Sorry to make this a, a slightly shorter episode, but uh, things to do, meat to smoke. Yep. Um, again, ladies and gentlemen, if you have any insider information on the trials and travails of the restaurant horses, we would love to hear it. Also, if you have insider information on food styling for film, as much or as little information as you feel it would be appropriate to give us would be great. <laughs> In the weeds, WBR at gmail.com. Best way to get a hold of us if you've got a lot to say. Also, you can see all the stuff that I make, monkey bread not included, on my Instagram, which is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. If you look up In the Weeds with Ben Randall on that particular platform, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Where we have lots of information, uh, deeper dives, you know, the articles that we. Uh, reference on this show and merch if you really feel like dressing like a couple of very early 40s guys because <laughs> that's what we have up on there is t-shirts and shit like that yeah we are gonna have to skip next week steve because i am going to a wedding i have a very Ooh. busy weekend next week friday i'm going to a wedding my lead cook is getting married saturday afternoon i'm getting on a plane to go to nashville for a two-day conference i come back sunday night and i go right back to work monday morning so i am completely booked all next weekend so ladies and gentlemen you can listen to this one twice if you would like to uh <laughs> catch up on some back uh, backlog yeah but um we will not be recording next week because of all of that but when i get back uh the week after we can talk all about nashville because i'm pretty sure i'm gonna ditch out on the dinner that i'm supposed to go to and i'm gonna get barbecue because i'm gonna be nice. in fucking nashville yeah right. very cool yeah. anything else steve anything we skipped I'm good. Nope. all right for In the Weeds of Ben Randall, I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. Talk at you next week. Bye-bye.